not shining. Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. Okay, so it's Luke 9, 28 to 35. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men Moses and Elijah talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Judy Cayo, a member of Epworth. Kristen invited me to give some reflections on my general conference experience, and you'll hear more, a more complete report back from the many who attended after worship on March 17th. Downtown St. Louis was cold and desolate the day after general conference ended, reflecting my mood. As I walked there, our pastor, Kristen, texted me, asking me how I was. I replied, sitting with grief and joy. They are old friends. That is where I am still. I had great joy at seeing many old friends from across this country whom I have known because of our connectional church. In fact, Anna Bladel, who was an intern here at Epworth in 2005 and 6, asked me to give her love to everyone at Epworth. 
I have grief at what feels like the breaking apart of the connection itself. That connectionalism which makes United Methodists unique. Joy in walking this journey with the 10 United Methodist PSR students and other auditors in Felipe Maya's special general conference immersion class. We did not come from similar backgrounds, cultures, or perspectives on LGBTQIA concerns, but we were church for each other throughout the week, and I am grateful to them for their openness. I have grief for a church that talked the words of holy conferencing, but nowhere in the general conference, to my mind, embodied it. Joy and gratitude for the messages from the Epworth community here in California, the prayer beads I wore every day to remind me of home and church. Ironically, as I walked into the final meeting with our Western jurisdiction bishops, while taking off my coat, the tender threads holding the beads broke, and the beads fell to the floor. I scooped them all up to bring home with me, <laughs> but that moment felt like I felt about the United Methodist Church, broken and falling apart. Coming home with a heavy heart, I turned to distractions on Thursday, and being a movie junkie, I watched all the Oscars shows. <laughs> Two things stood out for me. The long years of perseverance on behalf of women's rights and other justice issues by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as reflected in the documentary RBG, and the presence of US Representative John Lewis. Despite what you might think about his appearance at the Oscars or what film should have won Best Picture, I found myself thinking about what it must have taken for Representative Lewis and so many others to stay in the fight for civil rights through decades, centuries of oppression and violence. And for him to persevere as a representative working within an often fractious system of government, not unlike the United Methodist Church right now. When asked by a reporter what he would say to young people in America, Mr. Lewis replied without hesitation, never ever give up or give in. You must continue to stand up, speak up, speak out, and get involved. I don't want to get into comparing oppressions. What I do want to do is take courage from others' persistence in their struggles for a more humane, just world for a genuine, beloved community. And I am aware of how much privilege I have, including in this particular fight. We have what Susan Willem rightly has called Western jurisdiction privilege. Yes, our bishops made a powerful statement of inclusion, offering sanctuary and a commitment to carry on as we are. But many folks, both within and outside of the United States, are left behind in that statement. I can want to be sanctuary for others, but we cannot expect them to just move, as one person said she's been told to do many times. So my question is, how do we extend the table? How do we be part of making it safe for LGBTQ folk and their allies everywhere? At the Love Your Neighbor Coalition closing worship on Wednesday, there were several speakers. A white gay student from upstate New York who hopes one day to be ordained in this church that he loves. 
a queer African-American woman from New England who is in the process of certification for ordination, but with an uncertain future. Our Western Jurisdiction Reconciling Ministries Network organizer, Izzy Alvarez, who talked about being from a conservative family in the Philippines, a place that is still home to him, but where he cannot go. And finally, an African clergyman, the Reverend Kennedy Mitwa, I probably said his name wrong, a district superintendent in the Kenya-Ethiopia Annual Conference who identified himself as an ally. I wondered what difficulties or threats he may have endured because of his work for human rights and especially on behalf of LGBTQ people in his country. I was so grateful to him for taking time to be with us that I sought him out to say thanks. He leaned forward to hear me over the crowd and reached out his hand in a handshake that I will not soon forget, a handshake of solidarity. I am sitting with grief and joy. That is where I am still. Yet the activist in me is saying, stand up, speak up, get involved. Here's my list so far. Talk with church council about how Epworth can effectively use our unique talents and resources when so many human rights concerns are before us. Attend the General Conference debrief meeting with our bishop here on April 7th. Become more intentionally aligned with other reconciling congregations around California, Nevada, and beyond to be more effective in our witness and or our strategy. Who knows? Maybe we can even reach out to folks in the Kenya-Ethiopia Annual Conference, start some kind of ongoing communication, a connectionalism that is truly Wesleyan. There is grief, there is joy, there is anger, and then there is action. And there is always singing. Thank you, Judy. Judy didn't, didn't mention she's also one of our co-lay leaders. And thank you for your words, and thank you for the moments to collect myself after the choir sang. <laughs> thank you all. Will you all join me now in prayer in the words of preparation that are printed in your bulletin? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, when I look at you, Epworth, I just want to drink in your faces. When I look at you, I feel like I'm looking on the face of a beloved from whom I have been away far too long. The scene that I faced most of the week in St. Louis at the Dome Convention Center was one of conflict and pain and strife and power plays and mourning. But your faces, dear ones, are a healing balm. Thank you. 
My guess is, like me, you've been dealing with your own grief this week and soul-searching. It was not possible to avoid the news from the general conference, from NPR to Facebook. The coverage and the outpouring of emotion was immense. It's important to note, though, that the United States United Methodist Church voted two to one to make the church more inclusive, as did most of Western Europe and the Philippines. Unfortunately, most of the coverage has not been nuanced to make this point, but I trust that you will make this point. Maybe you've had moments this week of trying to explain to others uh, in the wider world how the global United Methodist Church could have possibly voted to strengthen and make punitive the church laws against LGBTQIA persons and our allies. And you've said with, with conviction and with love that your local church, Epworth, is different. And my guess is that if you have engaged in these conversations, you've been met in most cases with incredulous looks. We are in Berkeley, after all, and your friends and neighbors are looking at you thinking that in all other respects, you're a rational person. (laughs) But in this case, you seem to be somewhat self-deluded. And it may also be these same people who wonder why you are in the church in the first place. They think that the church is full of hypocrites and unfortunately some may have taken this opportunity as an opportunity to pile on. Your friends and neighbors may be too polite to actually ask you the question of why you're in the church in the first place, but I can tell you I got this question a lot when I was a campus minister. Students are not afraid to hold back on questions, and that question was always right there at the top of the list. And I can tell you that my answer always ran along the lines of the words that my colleague Brian Adkins offered to the general conference. The church is just people trying to be just people. But in this case, our church has failed. Let me be 100% clear. The global United Methodist Church got it wrong here, and I mean wrong in both an immediate and an existential sense. This was a wrong decision, and the reverberations of wrongness have, got, have done damage to individuals, to families, and to the opportunities that we have to do good as a church, and to the very fiber of our human community. What we saw in St. Louis was a manifestation of the brokenness we know is present in our world and in our church, homophobia and sexism. Homophobia and sexism are wrong. It is not only, however, the only brokenness in our world. So too, is wrong the reality of mass incarceration, which is a manifestation of racism and white supremacy that exists in us and among us, 
That is wrong. So too is the vilification of persons from Central America and the Muslim world seeking safety and a new life in this country. This is a manifestation of xenophobia and racism and white supremacy, and that is wrong. In our, baptism, in our baptismal vows, we renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and vow to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Each of the struggles I named above has a front line. In resisting the evil and injustice of mass incarceration, we address the hyper-militarization of our police, the corruption of the force, and the flaws in our criminal justice system. Now, please don't misunderstand me. The vast majority of our police, who are part of our first response when crisis and crime hit, serve with integrity and dignity and self-sacrifice. But we also know that the pattern of hyper-militarized policing of people of color is the front line of this injustice. In resisting what, what is happening to our siblings fleeing violence, we have gone to the border, which is the front line of that struggle in both a real and a symbolic way. My friends, the front line of the battle against homophobia and heterosexism and sexism against LGBTQIA persons is the church. This is the front line, folks. Some are saying that they are ready to leave the denomination of the United Methodist Church. This is a legitimate consideration. But it is not our option to decide if we will struggle against evil, injustice, and oppression, only how. To those who would leave, I say, how will you struggle against the oppression of LGBTQIA persons when you are outside of the church? Because leaving doesn't mean that bias and discrimination no longer exist. As a lesbian, I know that leaving the church will only take me so far away from homophobia. So I would rather struggle in the midst of people I love and who love me, all surrounded by the grace of God. I would rather struggle in the place where I can be most effective, which is the front line. We are the front line. So let us remember and never forget the blessing that it is to be Epworth. While so many others woke this morning and wondered if they would be accepted in their church home, or worse, knew they wouldn't be. The irony is that while this oppression and bias comes from the denomination, it is also the church that taught us it was wrong. This is the same place where we have felt the embrace of grace, where we have known the healing of true forgiveness, and most importantly, this is the place where we have experienced the truth that each of us, no matter what, is loved unconditionally, and each of us is a beautiful and sacred creation of God. We have learned our lessons well. Today is the last Sunday before Lent begins. 
And it's the day that the church typically celebrates the transfiguration. And, and we had another scripture planned for this morning that was focused on being able to, to cast our burdens on Jesus, who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I commend this scripture to you, but I needed to switch back to the core of the tradition today and to preach about the transfiguration. So in the story that you heard Linda read this morning, Jesus goes up to the top of a high mountain with James and Peter and John, and there before them appear uh, Moses and Elijah, and Jesus himself is transfigured into this pure white energy, and a voice from on high says, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What happened last week, the general conference, was not the action of a church who listens to Jesus, who lives the truths of grace and forgiveness and love that we know to be the heart of our lives as Christians. It was a church that reflected divisions and brokenness that exist already in the world, who forgot that we are called actually to be a light of grace and love to the world, not to add to the darkness. My colleague, Steve Garness Holmes, who serves just outside of Boston, has shared some beautiful words, reminding us that in the midst of the real world and her sufferings, we are called to listen to a different voice. Hear these words. Listen for the one amid the others, the one who awakens something lovely in you. If you don't turn from this clanging world to listen, you won't hear him. Listen for the voice that calls you beloved, the voice that calls you to love. Listen to the voice that speaks of creation's wholeness, that beckons you to completion a voice that leads you toward others, not your own rising above and away. Listen to the song of the immense flowering within you, the risk and passion you can dance to. You will hear it in stillness, not in frenzy, in silence, not in noise. You will hear it from those who are belittled, not those who are honored by this besotted world. The beloved will not speak of success, but death and resurrection. Listen for the one who speaks with hope and delight. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to her. Listen to them. Who are you listening to? This week, I received an email from one of our young adults here at Epworth who felt heartbroken at the decision of the General Conference. But then she noticed that the songs of the church kept appearing in her head. First, there were the songs seeking grace. Then the songs that affirmed who the church is really called to be. Then songs of faithful response. She listened to them while still acknowledging the hurt was sometimes too fresh to want to respond. 
I have learned in my life that when a, 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 a song or a piece of scripture or a poem shows up in my head out of nowhere, I need to listen to it. It's a message. Because no matter what the world is doing or no matter how beleaguered we feel, God is always trying to get through to us with hope and with love and with healing. And like this member of our church family, all weeks, all weeks, songs kept uh, coming to me. At first I heard, ain't gonna let nobody Turn me around, turn me around, turn me around. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. Keep on walking, keep on talking, marching to the freedom land. And then, surprisingly, I heard Natasha Bedingfield's Unwritten. And this is not really one of my, you know, absolute favorite songs. It just kind of showed up. It's from the early 2000s. And I want you to hear the words. I am unwritten. Can't read my mind. I'm undefined. I'm just beginning the pens in my hand, ending unplanned. I break tradition. Sometimes my tries are outside the lines. We've been conditioned to not make mistakes, but I can't live that way. Staring at the blank page before you, open up the dirty window. Let the sun illuminate the words that you could not find. Reaching for something in the distance so close you can almost taste it. Release your inhibitions, feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. Only you can let it in. No one else can speak the words on your lips. Drench yourself in words unspoken. Live your life with arms wide open. Today is where your book begins. The rest is still unwritten. The rest is still unwritten. Why did what happened in St. Louis happen? Because God has given us the good gift of free will. The rest of this chapter is unwritten. And as we make choices that put the words on the page of this chapter, whose voice will we listen to? I implore you today, church, to turn your ears to the one who speaks to you in grace and affirms you are beloved. <clears throat> and I implore you to amplify your voice of love and, and justice and compassion and to be the voice listening for all who have no welcome, no affirmation, no loving church to go to this morning. The body of Christ has been broken, but we know how the whole story ends. This is just one chapter, but we know that there is life after death. We know that healing conquers brokenness, and we know that love wins. Amen. Amen.